Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast. It is April 25th. We know people are scrambling to close out their quarter. For those of you on the uh, fast quarter, as it's called, we know this is your last week. We wish you the best. Uh, we hope that you hit all your numbers and um, that your numbers were not created by dogs sitting around a poker table using a Ouija board or playing poker. So, you know. Or chat GPT. Or chat yeah, with chat GPT. So. Uh, want to give a very nice and thank you to HubSpot for putting us on the HubSpot podcast network. There are tons of great episodes out there, not just from us, but I think John Barrows just joined. So he's there, but a really, another good friend who's going to come on our soon is, uh, Jason Bay and his podcast is called Outbound Squad. If you haven't listened to him, um, or you don't know him, I encourage you, we encourage you, I'll speak for Scott as I always do. And say that you should um, check him out, uh, and not just his podcast. He has great content. He really does for the sales community. He wants to help people get better, um, and you know he'll talk about everything from call reluctance to you know multi-threading, complex deals, like all this stuff that that is you know super important to all of us. So please check out uh, the Outbound Squad with our good friend Jason Bay over on the HubSpot Podcast Network. Uh, without any further ado, uh, Mr. Lease, you're running the show today. What are we doing? Yeah, I'm just going to sit here and ask you a bunch of questions, kind of hot topics. All right. <clears throat> kind of like a part of the interruption, you know? Okay. Or, uh, or first take or one of those kind of shows. So, okay. so all you ended. Yeah, I mean, I fully expect us to be yelling at each other at some point in time. Okay. <laughs> Very much let's 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 even preface this by saying that yesterday my 13 year old son asked who cursed more using the f word on the podcast god or richard and uh we agreed that it thinks it's fairly even um and then i said scott well what about in real life and scott uh absolutely claimed victory that he probably used in real in real life yeah we should uh somebody who's listening to this episode should keep a tally of who curses more and then message Richard and I, and we'll Venmo you like a hundred bucks. If you, uh, if you get it right, like whoever the first person is the, to get the right, you know, numbers and, yes. and claim victory, even better. You could post about it. Yeah. So. You could post about it. In fact, I will do this. Let's make it a hundred bucks for somebody who writes a post about the podcast and says, I'm posting this because if I do, yeah, you got to tell us why you like the podcast, but then, Whoever wins the uh, fucking curse word challenge, um, you know. Yeah, but it's it's like it's like golf, right? Like, so actually, whoever has the lowest score wins, right? Just no. to clarify, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, I want to start. I want to start off with um, something that you are known for disliking, and that is buzzwords. So yes. I want you to give me your most annoying buzzword of the moment and tell me why. Uh, well, it's of all time is effectiveness and efficiency. Those are my two biggest. Those are your two all time ones, but are those still the two like most annoying ones of the moment right now? Oh, uh, no, I would say it's a good question. I would say, um, can we say chat GPT is a buzzword? Not even whatever you want is a buzzword. I, I would say chat GPT is becoming a buzzword and that's what I hate the most. Because people don't even understand it, um, particularly, and I don't know the reason why for this one, but um, 
and they're they're not a sponsor. Neither of these people are, but you know, ChatGPT, as I understand it, is limited to data based uh, from 2021 or earlier, which I don't like. Um, but I still use it. Like it's a good stepping off. But Bard doesn't. So that's one of the reasons. So I don't know why everybody's using ChatGPT to integrate. I don't know if it's a better API or just people will know about the others or stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, ChatGPT is probably my most hated these days. Maybe maybe first mover advantage or um, you know branding, marketing, whatever. I don't even know how many people know about Bard by comparison yeah. to ChatGPT. It's become a verb now. You know, yes, it has. Like, Google that. Yes. Chat GPT that day. Yes. Right? I think, I think that's a good indication that something has crossed over into buzzword land. Yes. So why? here's my question. Why do you... You know I hate buzzwords. Do you not hate them? Or is it just like, well, that's just Richard Durant, so I let him do that. No, I don't like buzzwords either. But, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10 of annoyance, buzzwords get you to like a 9 or a 10, and they get me to like a 2 or a 3. This is true. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's the only difference. So we're talking about GPT and, and a little bit about AI. I, I saw this um, great tweet from, uh, from Chelsea over at Lavender, and it keeps playing around in my head. And in essence, it was how long until, quote, powered by AI, end quote, becomes a negative and it's no longer like a positive. Think about that for a second. Will that happen? And if so, how long is that going to take? Um, well, while I'm thinking about it, I'm just going to say, fuck shit, motherfucker, because we need to have this contest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Fucking uh, count, dude. Uh, uh, I think the, uh, the I think it already is a negative. In many, you think it is a negative right now? You think you think people are like, oh, okay, you didn't. That's not. Yeah, Richard didn't make that. Right. No, I the way I the way I interpreted how she said it, and I and I like Chelsea. You said that's who it is. Yeah, or eleven. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think it makes people roll their eyes because it can immediately feel disingenuous, right? For those of us in the sales world where we know how it can help us, we may not see it as the negative, but I think to everybody else, it could be. Um, I also think to, I don't know for those of us who are outside of our sphere, right? Like, cause we pay attention to this technology, right? Like, I don't know what middle America thinks about it. Is it scary? I mean, I already know it's scary to people, but I don't know what like sort of the, the, and I don't mean this in a negative way, the the average person who doesn't have a sales or a tech job or a tech career. I mean, there's far more of, of people who are not in our world than are. And so I don't know how it's interpreted there yet. Like, is it, oh, that's cool or, oh, that's interesting, but I don't understand how it's ever going to apply to me. Or is it, no, that's really scary Terminator Matrix stuff, right? That's, so I don't know. Um, but I think it already can, it's already hitting that spot. It, in fact, in some ways it is because it's become a buzzword. I'm like hearing everybody talk about how they've integrated chat GPT and I'm like, to do what? Cause I don't care that you did. I want to know what pain you're solving. And then later, if you want to tell me it's chat GPT, tell me, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like the sales debt. Like I don't need to see your logo salad on the second slide. 
I don't need to see your VCs on the third slide. Put that shit at the end, right? Nobody so can. If it, so if it's so if it starts to become like a eye roll, which I think is a really great description of it, um, does that start to impact like your desire or willingness to work with or advise certain companies where you're like, ah, no thanks, it's not interesting to me anymore. If it ever was. Oh, oh, on, on the contrary, when I see people talk about it, I still want to talk to them. But again, we're hit with it every day. So that, you know, it's coming from sort of my commonality of seeing it constantly. Yeah. In our, in our bubble. But when, when someone does come to me and say, Hey, Richard, I'd love your opinion. We're doing this with AI. Well, I actually need to double down on that. Like, I really want to know what's going on and see how people are using it, um, to understand that piece, like, you know, we'll talk about it in a minute, but you know, HubSpot has some new AI and chat GPT stuff, which I think is really cool. And I also think, um, God, this is going to sound egotistical. So Scott, you know, I, never... I think they're used to that from you by now, Richard, the audience is aware. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to understand it. And when I see, you know, I know that AI go, everything in technology goes in phase, right? Like even when HubSpot started, it started at, you know, step one and it was good. Then they add step two and it's great. And then they add step three and it gets better and better. So that's where I think we are with AI. Like, I think the idea again, in our world of sales for the last, I mean, since the beginning, it's really been about, since November, it's been about prospecting, but I'm so far beyond that. I don't care about prospecting anymore in AI. Like that's a, that to me is table stakes. What I want to know is where in the AI is it, how do I use it to teach me to code, to, to have a conversation with a pyramid team, right? How do I go and have it listen to my call and then tell me the right way to say it back next time? Like that is, so I, I, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking two or three steps ahead and there's probably someone above me going, Richard, you're still way back. You know, you're old school. Like we're way beyond that too. So that's the piece that, that. Yes, intrigues. So it does not scare me. It intrigues. So there's there's this piece about um, advising companies and and kind of picking and choosing who you work with a little bit. There's more and more people now who are getting the role of advisor, ambassador. Yep. Whatever you want to call these roles, I'm getting hit with questions all the time about how do you structure engagements. You know. Should I be getting paid? If so, how much? What's the equity amount and all that? Right. What do you feel like is the answer to those kind of questions? What are you telling people? And and what do you, what are you seeking? I guess you know if somebody approaches you, like what's the what's the standard offer? Yeah, and you and I've talked about this offline a couple of times, so I'm, I'm curious to hear if I've taken your advice and done something different, or if it's still what you're doing, or vice versa. And it's actually a post I want to write. So I'm actually glad we're using some AI to transcribe this and then I'll probably have AI fix it. So, you know, back to AI. <laughs> um, you know, what I finally realized is that, and I think the world realizes it too, is that what people ask when they come to us for advisory gigs and that kind of stuff is really, they want access to our network, right? It used to start out as, Hey, be a part of our referral network. We'll pay you some money. And that's cool. Like if you close, help close a deal or get an introduction. 
And I was never great at it. I never embraced it all these years that I probably should have, but that's okay. Um, and then over time, you know, now that I've, that we build brands and I'm not the only one, I, you don't have to be a consultant or advisor. You could be a rep, look, great brand and a great voice. There's tons of people out there. What people are really saying is I want access to your network. And so for me, that's a gate. You don't get onto my property without paying the toll. Right. And that's the toll though. Right. So I want to, I want to position it that way. And that's what influencer means. Right. And, and it's not something I describe myself as it's what other people do, but this is what the Kardashian. So for right, me, now, right now it's all the negotiation. I think there's no, there's no standard. There's no standard. It's not like, Hey, if you are an advisor, you get a quarter percent equity or whatever. Right. So I think the standard is somewhere between you know, a quarter and 1%, depending on what you can get. I tend to come in around that 0.5% of equity. I also make sure that when they put that in a contract, that it says the exact number of shares and it confirms that it actually is 0.5%. Not that I'm ever going to go sue somebody, but, you know, I don't always know how many outstanding shares there are, right? So I have to trust there. And I make them put the strike price in and all that stuff. So and, that, are you, and, and are you looking for a four-year vest or a two-year vest? Um, yeah, so so I'll, I'll I'll kind of bullet point it, and then you can sort of pick and pick it apart a little bit. So one is, um, I don't do options for advisory because the ideas that they're asking me for are immediate, and that's worth something. If you would aid an actual, you know, you know, or a McKenzie consultant being taken shares. They might take some with some, but they still got to pay for it. So that's one thing is that it's, it's never a requirement. I mean, it's never like, um, you know, uh, one is not options. I'm not paying for these options either. And two, I'm not going to earn them over four years. It's going to be over two. And I've started to ask for a percentage, about 25% right up front. They're given to me right away. Like I'm not going to stop. So you're asking for equity, not options. Yeah. You're saying you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to pay to exercise. No, why would I? I'm just asking, I'm just asking a question. I'd want people to know, you know, how you think about it and how you, how you're operated. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it, it could be a definition of like, well, making sure people understand equity means it's fully vested. Options means you have the opportunity to buy them, which is very different. They also have very different tax implications. That's going to count, but. That's the difference we're talking about. So I asked for equity. I asked for 25% up front. I asked for the rest to be vested um, over the next two years, 124th every month for the next 24 months. Um, I also, now in the other way I do this is I tell someone you can do equity. Some companies can't get equity. Like they, they, the board won't let it happen or they haven't set it aside for advisors. So it's a harder, well, then they can pay me cash and some companies have done a little bit of equity and a little bit of cash now here's what they can get in return because it's not you know one they get access to me to talk you know whatever we decide to talk about product or go to market strategy or even sometimes how do i get this deal closed right because we're trying to get those those are referrals but for me because i built a brand sure i'll write something on linkedin about it sure i'll put you know we can do a thought leadership piece in my newsletter Sure, we could write a blog that goes on their blog or one that goes on my blog. So it's not just 
total advisory giving advice. There's there's a play so that when I position this as, hey, you're actually asking me for my network. And if you met, I don't think they know how to ask that it's bigger than that. And I also think because of, you know, Scott's got a community, which is different than Richard newsletter. So Scott could leverage a new, you know, his GTM um, community. So there's different ways. So I position it back to them is that it's about access to the network, not about introductions to deals. So this is an interesting point. So if it's about access to the network, are you then in a way becoming a free agent who is acting as a part-time salesperson for XYZ number of different companies? Partially. I'm probably more of a part-time SDR than it would be, right? Sure. Uh, sure. Or it was using the, I was using those words interchangeably because I forget that uh, most AEs don't actually sell it anymore. Right. So, <laughs> so I would also go so far as to say that I'm part of um, demand marketing, right? Like if you think sure. about the ability to use a newsletter and the LinkedIn post, that really kind of falls on demand gen. Uh, and then, yes, you know, sure, I'll introduce you to people that we think is the right person. I'll also introduce people. This is the other thing I tell them. Oh, you know, I'm an advisor for this company and this company. Why don't the two of you talk? Let's see if everybody wants to talk because I think you should share ideas. And yeah, the integration, right? I told one person last week, then I'll shut up. Oh, I told one person because they were, they'd never done advisors before. And I said, oh, all right, well, why don't you call my buddy, you know, over at this company, I'm an advisor there. He's the kind of guy, if he said, hey, I'm trying to find advisors, what did, what should I look for? And, or is Richard worth being an advisor? So, you know, so I will facilitate all kinds of conversation, which is way beyond this. Hey, introduces to people for yeah. 10 minutes of a pinky promise that maybe they might buy some time. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that this is part of the future of sales? If not all of it said differently, like, is it actually worth people's time to email and cold call? and try to sell that way versus let's say I'm a brand new startup. I just, I've got a, a couple of engineers. I've got myself, maybe one other, you know, business person, small team, nimble, agile. And they say, you know what? I don't want to have a sales team. We're not going to prospect like that. I'm going to get, uh, you know, a half dozen, a dozen versions of Richard get access to their network try to get warm intros that way. And I'm going to try to close those deals myself. And we don't need to do this whole old school outbound push anymore. Uh, I think it's multi-threaded, right? I don't think it's one or the other. Um, in the scenario you described, you know, I get super skeptical when an early stage startup comes and says, help us fight our first customer. Because they're like, no, that's, that's too much pressure on me. Now I'm your salesperson. You need to go have those conversations. You need to figure that part out. That's part of being a founder and founder-led sales. If the technology is fucking mind-blowing, I might consider it. But I don't start there. Like, that's the whole thing. I don't start with the introduction. I start with, hey, you're going to... Because here's the first thing. 
okay, you want introductions? And then they send me their, their marketing message. I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm not sending this to somebody. So now the first thing I'm actually doing is helping with fix messaging. <laughs> Have you ever gotten a proposed message that you're supposed to send to somebody else that was good that you just used? Uh, no, rarely, rarely. Um, I can think of a, I can think of a couple that I've barely, I've barely had to modify. That's kind of how I feel. There's a couple. But most of them I'm like, yeah, I don't think I should send that the way you wrote it. Right. I'm going to do my own thing. But this is what, but then all of a sudden now I'm working, right? Which is kind of like, make sure you're giving me advisor shares, but not yeah. rural fee. Fuck that. Um, but what I tell people when, the, when they say, hey, will you send this over? I'll say, well, before you do it, whatever you send, you know, I, I, I push, I say, you have 45 words in two sentences to describe the pain you solve, not what you do. That's what I will send. And tell me the pain you solve, not what you do, because nobody cares what we do. Right? Nobody cares that Scott's a go-to market strategist and leader. They care that he refines your message so you can find your earliest customers 10 times faster. That's what a founder wants to hear. They don't care that I'm a sales trainer. They care that I teach reps how to earn the right to ask questions, which question you're asking. Wait. And from that, I get something that's closer to what I would be comfortable sending, and then I still have to tweak it. So that's, that's how I see it. So, um, but yeah, I think that, that that like I mean, how do you see it? Like, what is what is? Let me flip it on you. Well, first of all, let's flip it back to you. How do you see the advisor referral thing going? Did I nail it? Did I miss something? Is it like, oh, I never thought about it that way, or is it that's exactly what I do? But you do it. You do it a little bit differently than I do. I, I actually think that you are um, a little bit more bold and upfront and uh, assertive in terms of your ask you know i never have i've never for example tried to make a point to say i don't want options i want actually equity because i don't want to have to exercise anything um <clears throat> so that's that's one example there i think that i'm i'm a little more bullish on uh that that the only way you're going to really be able to punch through and get a hold of somebody to earn the right to talk to them is through your network and an, and an intro, um, from somebody. I do not answer my phone. I barely answer my phone when my family or friends call. I, Dude, I, I can say that I can, I can confirm that this is true. Yeah. And as Scott's punishment, I just leave really long voicemails. I don't know if you even read them, but or listen. No, I don't. I don't listen to them or 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 read them, unless unless I think that like you know there's something urgent and I'm nervous for something. But so I don't answer my phone. You can now obviously. Oh, you got to listen to this voicemail. It's really important. No, no, that, I don't know what 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 makes me do it. I I almost never do. But my point my point is, I don't use a phone, and I think I'm not alone. In that, and I think that people don't want to pick up the phone. I think you're on edge already. You're thinking you're, somebody's spamming you about something, right? Refi your house or lower your home insurance or whatever. And I and I think people's inbox is a is a it's like a junkyard. 
you know, hundreds of messages, thousands of messages go there to die and get lost. I don't care how good your subject line is or your or how well written your AI email is. I'm not reading it or responding to it probably. If I don't know who the sender is. So I, I think I'm a little more bullish on uh, this network and partnering your way in possibly starting to do away with um, the old school outbound way of, of calling. We're, half, we're halfway through. So Richard, that's your cue. <laughs> Let's segue. Segue, abrupt segue into commercial. Yes. So thank you, everybody. Um, we're trying to get creative on these commercials, by the way. If someone would ever like to just come on and record the commercial in a voiceover, uh, maybe that'll be kind of fun to do too. So we'll have you sit here and listen to us for 30 minutes and then you can come in and do the thing. Cause no, we don't want long, big voices. Yeah. We're sending us, we're sending us some ideas on how we can spice up the commercial. Like hey, Richard say in a British accent. Yeah, that could be fun. So, all right. So what we do again, big shout out and so much appreciation for HubSpot and, uh, spot podcasting network. Again, check out our friend Jason Bay. But if you didn't know. And as much as Scott and I get a little uh, snarky about AI um, and things powered by ChatGPT, HubSpot has incorporated it and it's cool and it works and I like it. And that is the one thing like we were saying earlier, Scott, that yes, I want to see how, how HubSpot does this. I need to see what that's like for a rep. I want to understand it because it matters and it's going to affect everybody. So please be sure to to look at that. Um, and it can do things like come up with blog ideas and posts to LinkedIn. Um, it can drop that, drop the outlines. Um, it can write a bunch of copy. And yes, it can do subject lines and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's in alpha. So I know there it's a public alpha, which I still don't know the difference between alpha and beta. But uh, HubSpot AI chat spot, chat spot, HubSpot AI chat spot is their product. Um, it can help you. This is one of the things I do like about it. So my prospect does respond in an email or I'm in a communication. It can help me craft my messages continuous, not just the, the, the outbound stuff. Right. Um, and it can add all kinds of different notes and stuff into your CRM. So I really, really like it and, and appreciate it. And so please be sure to check it out and get early access to HubSpot AI today, uh, hubspot.com slash artificial dash intelligence hubspot.com slash artificial dash intelligence um and you can learn more about it over at hubspot.com and you can check out our show notes you can click on there too um we appreciate it and uh thank you to hubspot so scott what else you got for it yeah i think you should tell people about the side hustle that you and kathy have i think you should talk to us about commercial real estate <laughs> RV properties. One time, just just tell tell people what the heck it is. Yeah, and you know, is it is it is it worth like exploring? Who would be a good fit for it? Who wouldn't be a good fit for it? Yes, uh, boy, that's a that's an even sharper segue. Well done, Scott. Um, that's fucking cool. By the way, I think I'm I think I'm. I think Scott's winning, which means I'm losing, but I think I'm actually winning on the number of times that he's personal. Well, the, the, the secret here is that I'm just asking questions. So you have to talk more. Yeah. I, I found a way to rig the game potentially. That's true. 
That's true. Yeah. You did a Kobayashi Maru. What the fuck? No, what the fuck that means? I'm going to have to Google that. You don't know the Kobayashi Maru from Star Trek? No, I didn't. I didn't watch Star Trek. Oh my God. It's, it's how it, oh, my brother watched Star Trek. That was, that was not a Scott thing. Back to the question, Richard, focus on the question. Yes. Uh, so here's the story. So, uh, that begins it all way back in the day. Um, Kathy's dad has always done commercial real estate. He had his own office furniture company. Um, and, but he always invested in real estate. Like that was his thing. And he grew to ship. I mean, he's done very, very well. Um, and, and it was both commercial and residential. And by commercial, it was like you're, you buy an, you know, 8% of a huge strip center or eight, you know, 2% of some, you know, my strip center, you mean a strip mall, right? Strip mall. Yeah. You don't mean a strip club. No, I do not. No, that's just want to clarify and bail you out there. Thank you. Appreciate that, Scott. So, um, and then Kathy got her first car, as I understand the story. And in that car, she actually ended up having an accident and totaled it. And Scott, I don't think you know the story. And she hit a Rolls Royce. Oh boy. I did not know that. No. And, you know, Jeff, my father-in-law had two responses. One is, are you okay? And two, he said, well, at least you got great taste. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what that really means though, is that I think at that point, Kathy got some insurance money and he and helped her invest it into a real estate property. So that's where she got it, this type of stuff. So fun story. That's the thing. Over the years, Kathy has costly invested and reinvested in commercial and residential real estate uh, long before she met me. Um, we've been investing in stuff together since, since we've been married, you know, these, uh, be every 16 years, right? Cause when I turns 15, so, by the way, Scott, Kathy never remembers next time you talk to her, how long have you been married? She'll never remember. Usually it's a guy thing, but anyway, so we've done all these things and it's really cool because the way it can work is you invest in something and you each month you get a little bit of a check back. You know, it might be three or 400 bucks, right? It's not a ton. Yeah, mailbox money. Right. And and sometimes it is bigger. Believe me, they're somewhere, they're like, holy shit, cool. But what happens over time is that your equity in that property grows like because it, because it, it creates value. Every few years, you have to refinance that loan because it's not like a 30-year traditional mortgage. And when you refinance, Sometimes you get your money back. So let's say you threw in a hundred grand in four or five or six years later, you know, and you've been getting a little bit of, let's say you get 500 bucks a month for third, you know, for all those years. So there's cash flow. That's cool. Then all of a sudden you uh, have to refinance in, depending on how the stuff is done, sometimes you actually get your hundred grand back. And as I recall, sometimes you don't even pay taxes on it. So all of a sudden you have this cash thing. And then, then you still own the same amount of the property. So when it sells, you still get a piece of the pie. So this stuff happens like this is, this is, and this to me is the beginning of that kind of an investment, which is not something I did. I've always been the stock guy. I've all, everything I've ever done has been stock. So it's nice that Kathy and I can diversify. Um, there are times where market goes sour, there could be a cash call where it's like, you actually have to put more money in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And I think we need to caveat this with a big, fat legal disclaimer that we are not financial advisors. Real estate is like we're for a stockbroker. We do not have any advisors asking us to. Oh, it's just interesting, though, because this is a non-tech uh, traditional side hustle yeah. kind of stuff. So, um, so anyway, so and so you try and do that in different places. Now, here's what happens. Eventually, sometimes you actually have to sell a property. Well, then you eat, you have kind of two options. You either A, can take money and pay a ridiculous amount of taxes, or you have to take the whole amount and roll it into the next property. And the moment it sells, you have like 90 days or 60 days to identify the next property property you're going to invest in, and then you got to close it. Otherwise, you do have to take cash and have all these tax implications. So, and again, look, if you've done well, it's like you're not losing money, uh, but nobody wants to pay the tax, so. So this is this is a thing to do. Um, there are funds out there, you know. Oftentimes, like even in your four hundred one k, in some of those places, you can choose the kind of real estate funds. There are funds that do exist where you can contribute, and you're not. But, but what type of person and personality would be good? To, like, would I be good in this, or would I be terrible because X Y Z? Like, what type of personality and profile? Only because I know this about you and you've dabbled in it, you know, with an additional home that you then rented out, you understand the game. I don't think had you had, and if I approached you to say, hey, would you do this? You'd consider it. I don't think if it was the first time you were doing something, Scott Lease would do it. It'd be too scary. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. So somebody needs to be willing, not risk adverse. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. That being said, My father-in-law is a little more, and Kathy's more risk averse about the stock market. But that's just, you know, it's too up and down. And how do you risk adverse about things you just don't understand as much? Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so I, I think it's a great play. You know, believe me, there's there's a story I know of, of someone, literally, I'm not kidding, they, they were part of one of these real estate deals. And they had an office building across from the state capitol in Sacramento. Like, like this, like what's wrong? And then the financial crisis hit and the, and, and that loan came due and the bank wouldn't refinance it. So they lost it. They lost the money in it. Like that shit happens. That's why we're saying this is not scary. Yeah. Super scary. And you know, this is, this is from someone I know and trust and you, you know, Scott, um, and had a lot of experience with this stuff. And who would ever think that an office building next to a state capital where, yeah, it, 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 that's going to go blow up. We're not talking about hey, let's oh. risk and put something in an inner city. Well, you know, so crumbling, uh, crumbling businesses cause crumbling real estate markets. Yeah. There's do. a lot of uh, I've heard this phrase. I don't, I don't know who the author is, or I would cite them. But have you heard this phrase about zombie companies? No. So the concept is essentially that right now there's a, a bunch of companies, startups that are funded, but um, don't really have product market fit, are not really selling and closing deals. And they're just sort of like wandering around like the walking dead. Yes. They're going to be running out of money soon. So my question is, is there a great white knight consolidator? Is somebody going to come in and scoop up some of these companies? And if so, who would it be? What's your prediction? So I think there are two parts of that. One, the great company that would come in and scoop is still waiting for 
some of those companies to fail so they can, by process of self-selection through Darwinism, the best ones are left. Yeah. And then they scoop them up, right? Um, you know, again, in the world you and I live in, you know, we see big tech companies swallow other tech companies, right? We see who has the appetite for that kind of thing right now? Is there anybody just, who, do you, who would you have to, if we were playing roulette and you had to put chips on one number, whose number are you putting on? Who's lurking around out there, waiting, buying their time? I'm going to split my chips, you know, because we're playing roulette. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to split, split the chip on two you're split, So you're going to put on two squares or four? Two, two, because I'm going to put them on the green zero and double zero. I don't think there's anybody out there right now who's has the appetite. Okay. All right. All right. All right. That's my, uh, two, more, two more rapid fire questions for you, and then we'll, uh, we'll get on adding here. Thanks for uh, being the guinea pig for this episode. Richard. I like what's it. What's it like to be in the fucking hot seat? First of all, it's easy. Right? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Particularly if not. Like if Scott said, Richard, come ask me questions. I'd be like, I do some homework. Um, <laughs> I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. But, uh, well, I purposely didn't tell you that we were going to do this, let alone tell you the questions. So it would be. That's how we do our podcast, anyways. So. Yes, I know. Exactly. All right. All right. Man. Give me your ideal wish list surf and sales guest. Ooh. I'd love to have. I'm going to give you some titles. Right. Um, and then there are people that we would know, right? Like I would love to have, particularly at the hot startups, right. That are, that are really in the growth space. I'd love to have some VPs or executive VPs or even the founder show up, right? Like, I think those would be fun. I think, um, only cause I like these people want to hang out with them anyway. Um, John Barrows would be cool. I think that, um, Cynthia Barnes would be awesome. She's so fun and funny. Um, I think that uh, Larry Long Jr., who you just got to do with Golf and Zeno. There yeah. we go. Now we're getting some names. Now we can try to put our network to work Yeah. and say, listen, y'all should message some of these people. Yeah. How you heard Richard saying that they were the dream attendee for surf and sales. Yeah. Y'all should check it out. Last okay. question. Appropriate. I'd love to have um I'd love to have Max Schuler there. I think it'd be fun. Um and part of it is too, like we've had Kevin Dorsey be there, we've had Scott Barker, people, you know, I think in 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 our community, people who know the podcast, you know, that be like, oh, those would be people I'd want to hang out with. Right. Yeah. So I think that's those are the people. How about you? Who's on your tree? Who's on this? This this is this is not my show, Richard. Yes, it is. It's part of your show. So <laughs> This part and part time. I'm not prepared to give an answer. We, we could do that's that is untrue, right? You know, you know, you're gonna pick you're gonna pick Jim Kelly because it's is um, you know, Jersey's hanging up behind you. No, 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 no. I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of, of James Perry since he's a big surfer and he's like flying around all over the yep. world in these videos and stuff like that. Yep, um, that would be cool. Um, yeah, or 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 big cool video creators like Will Akin or Nick Capozzi, people like mm -hmm. that. Would be great. Yep. My last question, appropriately, how will you know when it's time to quit and walk away from it all? Uh, as soon as my wife stops remodeling the house. <laughs> <laughs>
best. So back to this real estate thing, we actually had a good deal come through. My wife's like, let's remodel the part of the house. And I'm like, well, when can I retire? She's like, not anytime soon. And look, uh, that's the first step. Um, well, there you have it, everybody. Richard's not going anywhere anytime soon. Here's, here's, here's the financial answer. And for some reason in my head, if I had $4 million cash in the bank that I can invest, that probably be the number four to five million. So, um, and I don't know why it's just a nice round number. Probably should be seven with the rate of inflation, but, um, wow. And, uh, that being said, I am on a path and not a plug, by the way, all these ideas we're giving you, please don't go invest in real estate or stocks. The Richard and Scott said something. We're not experts and believe me, I've lost a lot too. Um, we've actually gotten and gotten into a, a real financial advisor. Like, well beyond like a stock market, stockbroker kind of thing. Like we're, we're talking to somebody. So I think that's the first step to anyone is to go find someone who does that and say, what's the first step I should be taking so that you'd want me to be your client? How much does it take for me to come and you want me to be your client, Mr. or Mrs. Financial Advisor? So if you're looking for that, I would tell you to go do that homework first. And that's going to help you set your own goals. All right. Good stuff, Richard. Thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us for another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast. We'll be back next week. Yes, indeed. Thank you, everybody, and thank you to HubSpot. We appreciate it.